0: There are some interchanges in scripture that I just find really moving. This is one of them. You have this man who has been blind since birth. He's cured. He goes and tells everyone about it and faces nothing but ridicule until eventually he seems totally abandoned, thrown out on the streets again. And there, Jesus doesn't just stumble upon him. The man doesn't go out looking for him. No, Christ hears that this man is suffering ridicule on his account. And so he hunts him down, looks through all the shops and in the squares and in the gardens and eventually finds him. But what comes next is the thing that moves me. I'm going to use another translation here. Our Lord approaches this man. Perhaps he finds him sitting in the same place he used to beg, return to the place he knew before. Perhaps he's weeping, knowing that his parents have not defended him. In either case, Christ says to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Tell me who he is, Lord, he answered, that I can believe in him. He is the one you have seen, Jesus told him. It is he who is speaking to you. Then he said, I do believe, Lord. And he fell down and worshipped him. Put yourself in the blind man's place. All of us before our baptism had a spiritual blindness called original sin. Many people are blind to their place and their purpose in this world. Others are so blinded by the sufferings of the world that they have no hope for the next. Still others have turned in on themselves, their own mind, their own opinions, and so they do not see the rest of society. So we all have some degree of blindness, even those of us who do believe. Then Christ interposes himself into the scene. Everyone else is there in the room babbling over who is responsible, but Christ just prepares himself for a miracle. He spits on the ground and makes clay. I mentioned a few months ago how, for the ancient Hebrews, spit is your liquid breath, and breath for them is your physical form of the Spirit. And so Christ spitting here is a symbol of him introducing his own Holy Spirit into the miracle. And he doesn't just spit, he makes clay with it. Man has formed a genesis from the clay of the earth, clay in the hands of God. And so it's in the same way that the blind man is going to be cured. Baptism was our first washing, where Christ imposed his own spirit upon us. But that spirit is given to us for a purpose. Notice the name of the pool where the blind man is sent. Siloam. St. John gives us the translation. The word means sent. The response to to Christ's gift of faith is action, sent. In the collect of today's Mass, the opening prayer, there's a beautiful phrase that gives that uh, image for us. We pray that each of us may hasten toward the celebration of the Paschal Mystery with eager faith and prompt devotion. Now, faith is, as St. Thomas Aquinas teaches us, a theological virtue. Catechism explains how all the theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity, are given to us freely in baptism. Faith is a gift. You can't do anything to get faith. It just comes to you. And that's what I find so beautiful about this interchange between Christ and the man born blind at the end of the gospel. There's this sudden realization, this sudden effect of the gift of faith in this man. He comes to know who Christ really is, and that moves him to act. Prompt devotion. It's the other phrase in the prayer. He falls down and worships him. But he wasn't at this point immediately. He was like each of us. After his initial gift of faith, there was still this somewhat of a spiritual blindness for a time. He goes and shows himself to the scribes and the Pharisees. But when they ask him who cured him, he doesn't really tell them much. He can't tell them much. Jesus is just some guy. But he wasn't. He worked a miracle. And people don't just go around working in miracles, so he must be some special guy. That's a lot of Christians. Most Catholics in the pew today are sacramentalized. They have been baptized, confirmed. They go to communion. Maybe they confess their sins when they've been guilted into it. They're sacramentalized, but they're not evangelized. They still don't really know Christ. They know about him. They know uh, that he's Jesus, that we go to Mass to worship him, but they don't know who he is. And that's where the trouble comes in. They get asked all these questions. They face ridicule from non-Catholics at their place of work. They see all the terrible stories in the paper and on television. And so when they get asked, who is this Jesus? What is this church? All they really can ever say is, I don't know. And in that moment, there's no one we can lean on for support. The Pharisees bring this guy's parents in. And they asked them, was he born blind? And they admit it. But when questioned further about how he could be cured, all they could say is that their son has grown up, he can speak for himself. St. John tells us the way they responded was out of fear for the Jews. They knew that the Pharisees had been throwing people out of the synagogue for becoming disciples of Jesus. They weren't willing to risk their social status or their acceptance in this group for the name of Christ. But what about their son? He remains honest. And for that, he is rejected. And indeed, he's thrown out of the synagogue and seemingly returns to the place that he was before as an outcast. This is the crucial moment. This is where the enemy wants to find us. When we have stood up for our faith or feel like we've checked all the boxes, we've gone to Sunday Mass, we've not eaten meat on Friday, we worked up the courage to make that one confession we're required to make every year— And then we feel let down. We don't feel any different. It's like it's all been for nothing. When is God going to finally give us what we want? Jesus hears that this man has been thrown out of the synagogue. And so he starts the search. Maybe it doesn't take too long for him to find him. But either way, eventually he does. And this is the moment for the man born blind. He could just release his anger on Jesus. Tell him that he was better off before. At least then his parents supported him. At least then he was able to beg for alms. Now he's just an outcast on his own. That's not what happens. Jesus says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Tell me who he is, Lord, he answered, that I can believe in him. He is the one whom you have seen, Jesus told him. It is he who is speaking to you. Then he said, I do believe, Lord. And he fell down and worshipped him faith has led to action. The man born blind is so totally moved by the initial generosity of the Lord that he doesn't let the ridicule of the whole world bring him down. Effectively, he's telling the Lord, I don't understand any of this, but I believe in you. I trust in you. It's hard to keep our faith when we feel like God has let us down, and when we have those moments— It's in those moments that the enemy always pesters us. Do you still believe all of this? How can you believe this? Did you ever believe this? And so what's our answer? What have we done to grow in our faith? When have we ever asked the Lord, tell me who he is that I can believe? This brings me to, as a conclusion, the prayer of Thomas Merton. It's one of the favorite prayers of mine. So he says... My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I may seem lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.